Let us pray. Our great God, might the scriptures be our only rule. Might the Holy Spirit be our only teacher. And might your glory be our only purpose for being here. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Love that song. Thank you. Great. Just great song. Appreciate it. Well, I, I had the option of, as uh, David McFadden said, preaching a fishy uh, passage in, in Jonah, but uh, chose not to do it. Um, you, you know that if it's in Romans, that's where I'm going. And so this morning I'd like to look with you in Romans chapter 9. It's a great passage and, uh, and a passage that I think that we need to hear. One of the things that happens so often in the book of Romans is that we read through chapter 8 and we go, okay. And then chapters 9, 10, and 11 we go, I don't think I want to read that. Uh, and it's because there's so much there. Uh, we could look at what God is saying to us and, and see his glory in these things. I was telling somebody this morning, I said, we have this passage. I, I don't know. Um, you're not in Romans 9 next week, are you? Yeah. I, 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 think the, I think the lectionary moves on to like chapter 11 or something like that. So you miss all of the great stuff in, in 9 and 10 and things like that. But I love, I love the beginning of this passage. Paul you see the heart of Paul uh, in his ministry. When, when I look at it, I, I see that we see here that Paul has a salvation that he just rejoices in and a salvation that he doesn't want to keep to himself, a salvation that is available and he wants to make available to his people on what's happening. And there's just excitement when you, when you read it. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. One of the things that we have happening here is I, I want you all to know that I'm not just saying words to say words. I really mean what I'm saying to you. Paul was accused of being anti-Semitic, actually, which is kind of an interesting thing because oftentimes when he told the story of Christ, he said, your rulers handed him up to Pilate to put him to death. And when he became a believer in Jesus Christ, he moved away from the things that he was doing before. He actually, for them, became a traitor to this new, new faith. And Paul wants them to understand, I love my Jewish family. I love Israel. And, and he goes, I, I, my conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Just take in those words. I've got great sorrow for, for the people that I know, the people that I have loved, the people that I have worked alongside of for so many years. They're, they're from a standpoint of, 
from a standpoint of trying to do what is right, but they haven't accepted what is the truth, even today. Ask a, a, ask a, a, a Jewish person, and they will tell you they're still looking for the Messiah to come. Still looking for that Messiah to come. Don't want to deal with that, that Jesus, interesting, the Christ, the anointed one. Messiah means anointed one. <laughs> that Jesus, the Christ. And so his heart goes out. As a matter of fact, he loves the people so much. He basically says, I'm willing to give up my salvation for them if that's what it can happen. When you look at the words there, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ. Those are heavy words. That's how much he cares for these people. That word accursed is the word anathema. I wish I was anathema. That is, that I was, I was going to be that sacrifice that would bring life to somebody else. I would do that. Well, he knows that that can't happen. So he goes on and he talks about this. And as I looked at this, I thought, how beautiful it is when we move from Romans 8 into Romans 9. The last time I had the opportunity to share God's word with you, we looked at the end of Romans 7 and the beginning of Romans 8, where we learned that freedom from sin comes through faith in Jesus as our Savior. And that faith, that Holy Spirit, will lead us into a holy or sanctified life. Since that time, we found out in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30, that all things work together for good to those who have been foreknown, predestined, called, sanctified, and glorified by God. We also found out that, the base, that based on this faith in Jesus as the foundation for everything, uh, that uh, both Romans 7 and 8, that we have what Piper calls a future grace to be what God wants us to be. So when we get to the end, or talk about the end of chapter 8, we're reminded that God is capable of seeing us through any kind of situation in which we find ourselves, no matter how dire or deadly. God is capable of holding on to us, and in fact keeps us in his love so that we are wrapped in his loving arms no matter what comes into our lives, good or bad. As I was reading the scripture of the daily office a couple of days ago, I read Psalm 136. And I'm sure that you all have memorized Psalm 136, right? Psalm 136 is um, in our um, English Bible, 26 verses long. And this is the way it starts. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Second verse. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. And if you read the whole psalm, 
That's the way each and every verse is written. It will talk about life's, uh, uh, Israel's history, looking back, how God had called them to be a people, how God had brought them out of Egypt, how God had opened up the Red Sea, how they had walked through the Red Sea with the, with, with water on each side, and how Pharaoh, when he went into the Red Sea, died. It talks about how they walked through the wilderness for 40 years. It talks about how they brought him into the land. God had brought him into the land. And each and every time, it's the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. And as I, re- as, as, as I read in, in, in the end of uh, chapter 8, is that not what he's telling us about our salvation? What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? The question. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. What Paul's coming off in chapter 8 is the idea that no matter what happens as a believer in Jesus Christ, and by the way, Romans 8, beginning in verse 28, is written to those who know and love the Lord. Those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Those who have salvation through the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. These things are available to them. The love of the Lord never, ever, ever, ever stops. His steadfast love endures forever. That's the idea that we have coming into chapter 9. This is why he loves his salvation so much. You know, oftentimes we look at salvation as that fire escape from hell. And believe me, it's, it, it's a good message. Ask Jonathan Edwards. He preached the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he portrayed there that those people were like people who were on a spider's web or a, a string who were over the hellfire, except for God's grace and mercy and love. You know, 
We get so excited about how wonderful and dynamic we can do to preach. You know, Jonathan Edwards read that sermon. Read that sermon. Of course, now it was at night, and there were lanterns flicking, so they got the idea of the hellfire pretty well. It's about God. What he's saying in everything that we've seen so far in chapter 8, coming into chapter 9, is that it's about God. It's about who he is and what he is. Dr. Tony Evans. Have any of you ever heard Dr. Evans speak on radio? Now, you want to talk about somebody dynamic. You think I get loud? Tony was in school at the same time as I was. Tony was a big man on campus. He doesn't know who I am, and that's okay. I know who Tony is, and I know Tony's love for the Lord. And Tony says, uh, I, I, I was listening to the radio the other day, uh, I guess it was Moody Station, and they had something that Dr. Evans had to say. And, and I, I wish I could quote it for you. It's one of those deals, if you write it, you know, you can highlight it and bring it in. Yeah, on the radio, it doesn't work that way. So, in essence, it was, we get wrapped up in what God does for us rather than who he is and what he is. Tony says it's like a woman who thinks more of her wedding ring than she does of her husband. Instead of looking, so often what happens is that she gazes at the ring and thinks how great it is, forgetting the one who loved her and cares for her. We're enamored by what we get rather than the one who gave it to us. John Piper, in a, in a book called Future Grace, talks about what belief really is when we really place our faith in Jesus Christ. This is what he says. In other words, true faith involves a spiritual renovation of the heart. Faith cannot coexist with self-exaltation. It is inherently humble and God-exalting. It looks away from itself to God and delights not in the praises of men, but in the glory of God. We may infer then that true faith, as it is in John's gospel, is of such a nature that it excludes the bondage of applause. It includes a love of God, a savoring or relishing of God. That makes the praise of men pale in comparison with the treasure that God is. You know, in the book of John, it's used, the word believe is used a number of times about people who turned their back on God and walked away, or Jesus and walked away. The word believe is used of them. What was it that they believed? Well, they believed that he was a good teacher. They believed that he, um, he was a good man. They even believed that he could do miracles. But you know what they didn't believe? They didn't believe that he was the son of God who came for one purpose and one purpose only, to glorify his father. And that glorification would come by way of his giving his own life so that you and I can have life eternal. He came, died, 
that we might live. He came into darkness to shine light, to give us what we need. So often we get wrapped up in what he did rather than who he is and what God did for us. And I think that that's what Paul is trying to tell us today in Romans 8 and in Romans 9. There were those who were living at that time that believed that Abraham was indeed the father of of, of nations and that Abraham had been blessed by God and that the people of Israel had been blessed by God, that God had done great and mighty things, that God had done great and mighty things for them. But what they failed to realize and what they failed to believe was that this was the God of the universe who loved them and cared about them and was willing to give his own son so that they could have life. Even today, the Jewish people are looking for that Messiah, as it said. Jewish people are looking. And God has already provided it through Jesus Christ. And what Paul tries to get across is that those things, those great things that we have at the end of chapter 8 are because God loves us and Christ died for us. How excited do we get about what God has given to us in life? Or do we keep looking for what he's going to do and give to me? The scriptures aren't about, I'm sorry, the scriptures aren't about us. The scriptures are about him. Now, being, having said that, what ends up happening is that we end up getting the blessings through the scriptures because they're about God. So Paul says he was enthralled with this and he wanted the people that he knew and loved to know this same love. Even if it meant that he would die. Now, the interesting thing is, my friends, we can't have faith for anybody else. The only faith that I can have is faith for me. You know? I'd love to be able to have faith for my kids and my grandkids. That's not mine. That's God's to give them. I love, too, when we look at this passage, God's excited because, of, uh, uh, because God has made himself known to his people. You look here, and it says, They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoptions, the glory, the covenant, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. You see what he's saying there? He's excited about the gospel because God has made it known to his people. And when we look at it, God has made it known to us as well. You and I live in a country where the word of God can be taken 
and read. You and I live in a country that can look back and see how God has blessed and kept those who are his own. We have those things. They are there for us. I was looking at this and I was thinking, I wonder when the first English Bible in the United States was printed. It wasn't printed until 1773, I think. 1773. You have to understand that in England, before, before Henry came along and Elizabeth came along, people died for having an English Bible. John Wycliffe, uh, William Tyndale gave their lives because of the Word of God. Because you see, in the Word of God, we can find who God really is. That's why we've been given the Bible, Westminster Shorter Catechism. Why do we have the scriptures? The scriptures are given to teach us about God and what he expects of us. But they're there to teach us. By the way, the first, first Bible that was printed in the United States was a translation of the Algonquin Indian language because the person felt that they needed to see in their own words what God had to say. You have that available to you. You have that available to you. You can do the same thing that I've done this morning. You can get into God's word and you can learn about who God is and what God is and how he's blessed you. We've been given that. We've been blessed down through the, through the years here in the United States to have that. So our prayer might be, God, you've given us your word. You've allowed it to be shared and continue to be shared. What I'm seeing here is that he wants to make sure that the people know that he's not just ministering to Gentiles. He's ministering to those who are his own. You know, how often here in the United States do we go, well, I was born here in the United States. I'm Christian. Whatever that means. Whatever the definition of that is now. Or, I'm, I'm sorry, those of you who are those of you who are Episcopalian and Anglican, I was not raised Episcopalian and Anglican. I am not blessed as you are. I was raised in some other tradition. But you know what? There are too many people around here that think, I'm Anglican. I'm okay. I'm Baptist. The Baptist didn't think you're going to get away with not being part of that, did you? I'm Baptist. I'm okay. I'm Lutheran. <laughs> I'm okay. Tambry just married, and we need, you need to pray for her. You need to pray for her, not because he is Lutheran, but because he's a minister. So... You know, actually, 
when I went to become ordained, I had to find my birth, uh, I had to find my my uh, baptism certificate. For baptism in, in the Baptist church, it's a nice thing, and they give you a certificate, but parents don't put that away somewhere. But they do in churches like the Presbyterian Church, and, keep, and they keep track of it. The Presbyterian Church, the Lutheran Church. So when I went to look for my, my um, baptismal certificate, didn't have it from the, bapt, uh, from the church that I was in because they just don't keep those kind of records. So I thought, well, I was raised for the eight, first eight or nine years of my life in Lutheran. I must have been baptized as a Lutheran. Presbyterian, no wonder I like John Calvin. <laughs> but you know, none of that makes any difference. Just as though they were, just because they were Israelites, just because they had... They had people in their background that knew God. That's not what gave them salvation. It's that belief in Jesus Christ that does. You and I need to be excited about the salvation that God gives us. He's given us so much. Not just a, not just a fire escape from hell, but a way of life in which we're blessed. If we were able to go into chapter 10 and, and do chapter 10, uh, we, we, we could do whole sermons on that. But there's a passage back there. You know, we know that as a nation, Israel did not receive Jesus as the Messiah. But it wasn't because they didn't have his word. In chapter 10, Paul will say the following. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on his name, on the name of the Lord, will be saved. What I mean by that, recognize really who God is and what Christ has, what God has done. How then will they call on him and whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So you're looking at me and saying, I'm not a preacher. The first two times that that word preach is used is the word garuzo, which has the idea of proclaiming. It's kind of like a, 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 a letting people know what's happening. But the third time that it's used, when it says, beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, that's the word euangelizo. And you go to me, so what? That means that you share the good news. You share the good news. I love it when Isaiah looks and he sees God and how great God is. And God said, who's going to go? And Isaiah said, here am I. Send me. And, I, and God says, okay, you got it. You go do it. What did Jesus want of his disciples when he shares the good news? We go back to, Rome, uh, we go back to Matthew 28. I love what uh, Gordon Green Gordon Green said in a commentary, 
Uh, he says, we hear the truth of Jesus' teaching as the Holy Spirit testifies to our hearts and yearn for more. So we press in closer to Jesus, as the crowds did, and test the waters by submitting to his commands, even a few, as futile as they may seem. And when we do, we will see miracles, maybe not feats over nature, but certainly changed hearts, beginning with ours as we kneel before our Lord and confess that we are sinners. For this is what it means to follow Christ. Indeed, he calls all his brothers and sisters who come to know and love him to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know, a lot of times we listen to that verse and we hear the word go and we think that's the imperative. That's not the imperative there. The imperative is to make disciples. Go is a participle and it means as you go on your day-by-day walk. Make disciples. The command is to make disciples as you live your life in the excitement of who God is and what he's provided for you. That's what he calls us to do. That's what Paul is talking about here. That's why we move from chapter 8 where we see how great our God is in our lives. That his love is never, never, never ending. And then our desire should be that those that we know and that we love and that we can come in contact would hear the good news of a God who loves them and wants to be their Savior to give them all good things through his love. And and let us affirm our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, True God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again, in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.
Let us pray for the church and for the world to respond.